to Malmas. It's good to have you here. It's good to be back. We were gone for the last two weeks. We were in Winnipeg with some meetings for appointments, rather, doctor's appointments for Noah, our youngest, and uh, he's well, so that's great. Thank you for those of you that were praying. Yes, he's uh, they're quite pleased with his, his progress, so he's doing really good. Saw the pediatrician, saw the cardiologist, saw the ophthalmologist, we went through the rounds, and, and uh, some of them were really short, you know, you take a long trip for like a 15-minute appointment sometimes, it's a bit bizarre, but anyway, made it through it all. Ironically, Rowan was sick during the week that we were there for Noah's appointments, and so it was a bit of a, a, bit of a hard week for us, but we made it, we're here now. We're starting a new series on the Holy Spirit as we come out of Luke, and I thought it would be interesting, uh, we don't have time for this, but it would be interesting if I was to ask everyone in the room, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word spirit? Not necessarily in a church context, but just sort of in a general sense, uh, spirit. Uh, you will hear this kind of used in all sorts of ways in the culture. When you talk about school spirit, right? You might think of sort of... Um, different kind of Eastern spiritualities, perhaps, or about spirituality lots. But lots of people say, I'm very spiritual, but I'm not very religious, thank you. Right? You hear that sort of thing. Um, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say, Holy Spirit? And, and there's a few different responses. And I think it has to do a little bit with if you have a church background or not, right? And it depends a little bit on what that church background is. So if you grew up in church, or you have some sort of church experience and it was a church that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, uh, then you may have had a childhood experience where uh, things on Sunday may have looked uh, very interesting, to say the least. There might have been lots of talk about the Spirit. There might have been things that, as a, as a child, perhaps, you thought, well, that was a bit bizarre, a bit, a bit extreme. I don't know what's happening now, but what's going on. Uh, so that may be your experience, is, is the Spirit was talked about a lot, especially in a charismatic circle, and, and sometimes you don't quite know what's happening when you go to church, and that's all well and good. Uh, and then for others, uh, if you grew up in church, there may have been um, recognition of the Spirit in the sense that, uh, you know, there's sort of lip service given to the Holy Spirit, mentioned once in a while. But it, it seems as though the Holy Spirit is not, uh, you know, an experienced reality. And so, you know, you might say, I believe the Holy Spirit in the creed, for instance, but it's not as though uh, the Spirit is someone that you're sort of talking with on a daily basis. It's not sort of a lived reality. What we want to do is uh, find the healthy biblical place between just sort of extreme, um, you know, understanding of the Spirit that's basically whatever I want it to be, which is kind of dangerous and unhelpful and unhealthy, so it's like, well, I'm experiencing this sort of emotion, therefore it's the Holy Spirit, well, not necessarily, right? And so how do you discern that well? So, so there's a, a healthy swing back, maybe to the middle, from just sort of saying anything extreme and crazy looking as the Holy Spirit. Not that that can't happen, but you know, so I'll just assume that. And then on the other hand, saying, well, we just mentioned the Holy Spirit, but we basically don't really, it doesn't really mean anything to us, right? And so somewhere in the middle here, uh, is where we find a healthy biblical ground of who the Spirit is. And we want to affirm, first of all, that the Spirit is God's uh, God's very personal life-giving presence to us. And there's something about the spontaneity of the Spirit, and there's something we celebrate well as kind of 
apostles is to realize um, I'm not so much in control of this thing as I might think I am. And so God might sort of show up, we might say, which is kind of a terrible way of putting it, as though he wasn't here beforehand. You know? um, but God might do something that I wasn't previously prepared for, and that's okay, because he's alive and present here with me, with us, or in my life. And we want to ground ourselves in a biblical vision of who the Spirit is, because we can import all sorts of ideas of who the Spirit is, or what the Spirit is, or what the Spirit does. So what we're going to do is look at the very first reference to the Spirit in the Bible, which I had Audrey read. Thank you, Audrey. And uh, so we can look at page one, which is fun. It's fun to what you can say. Turn to page one of the Bible. All sorts of debates and discussions that we could go into on this passage that we're going to completely not talk about today. <laughs> Sorry if that, that's what you wanted to hear. Uh, lots of debates about the how questions of this passage, or the when questions, right? Uh, the Bible's much more interested in the who question. Who's the one doing all of this? Right? Well, that's God. In fact, you've got ten times that God speaks in the Genesis 1 account. There's this strong, strong sense that God reveals himself as he speaks and as he acts in the world and he prepares us to respond to him. So who's, who's working to create? Who's this about? Well, you've got God created the heavens and the earth, right? God. Nothing else kind of given, just God generally. What else do you see? Verse 2, the earth was without what? Born and... Void, or some of you, what do you have? Darkness. Do you have formless and empty? Empty? Formless and empty? Yeah, does that sound very good? Can you can you have a barbecue there? No. Can you throw a frisbee here? Can you plant a garden here? Can you raise children here? No, it's not very fun. It's formless and void, not great. Not a place you'd want to be, of course. Whatever this is, it's... It's a barren, watery, chaotic emptiness. Uh, uninhabitable for life is what you want to stress. It's barren. It's a place where life can't flourish. And, and interestingly, that's what Genesis 1 is all about. It begins, actually not with nothing, but with this lifeless, watery chaos. And you have God... And then who you have in verse 2, later on, the Spirit of God. So you have this watery, lifeless chaos. And then you have God and Spirit of God are here to bring what? Well, they're going to bring about beauty and order and goodness out of a place that's dark and chaotic and inhospitable for life. And if that's all you really hear this morning, that's probably summarize the whole message for you. It's the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence to us, and His work is to bring life and beauty and goodness out of death and darkness and emptiness. And just as He does here in Genesis 1, He still does for us in all the dark and dead and broken places in our own lives. That's where, I guess it's a amen. <laughs> That's the thing to celebrate. This is what God does. What you see here in Genesis 1 is what God continues to do. What's the Holy Spirit doing? What do your, your, first, what do your Bibles have? Holy Spirit is hovering. Most hovering. So 
Do we have any other words? Hovering? Is any word? Hovering over the face of the waters. Get this kind of image of this watery chaos and the spirits kind of kind of present over it in some way. And it's this it's this rare word hovering. It's it's only used in Old Testament poetry. And it's to describe the way a, a bird kind of swoop over, protect, or kind of have her wings around her young. So the spirit is sort of sometimes brooding, sometimes there. So sort of brooding or hovering or hovering over this watery chaos. And there's a sense in which the spirit is just present, kind of ready to go, just waiting and holding this watery chaos. I think there's something else for us there. How many of us have places in our lives that feel chaotic? Whether that's a relationship or something in your work or something uh, in your own life that you struggle with. Uh, I don't know fill in the blank, but there's places in all of us that we struggle with facing chaos. And the Bible assures us right up front that that chaos is not sort of unbridled and going rampant around the world, but it's held by God. It's told this far, no further. And so as much as life might look chaotic to you, you can rest knowing that God is aware of that and he holds it. He's present to you in that. Raises all sorts of questions, but why would God let that be in the first place? Of course, we're not going to get into all of that this morning, but for those of us that feel pain this morning, feeling that life is a bit chaotic, you know that God is brooding, swooping, hovering over that chaos in your own life. He's hovering. Let's think a little bit about this word spirit, uh, the Hebrew word here. Do you know what the Hebrew word here being used is? Have you ever heard this? It's ruach. Can you say it? Ruach. ruach. It's not right unless you get the hach going. Ruach. Yes. You've got to tell the person in front of you so you don't spray them along the way, right? <laughs> ruach. And in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, you get a really similar word. It has the same kind of nuances, and it's. Do you know this word? From when we went to Panuma, I love to pronounce the P. Maybe you just heard it as Numa. Panuma, and we have this word has kind of found its, itself into English a bit. Can you think of ways in which you've heard Numa in English? Pneumonia, right? Or pneumatic, right? Numa, Numa, and Ruach. Ruach is. Especially if I'm saying. Ruach is often translated spirit, but it can be translated another way. Does anyone know how else you can translate ruach? Breath. Breath. Sometimes breath. And you see that same sense in pneuma, too, or pneuma in English, pneuma. Like pneumonia, which is what? Respiratory illness, right? Your breath isn't good. Your ruach is in trouble, right? Breath. Breath. So whenever you see breath in the Bible, it's almost always it's almost always ruach in the Old Testament or or pneuma in in the New. So this is God's spirit, but or put it another way, this is God's it's God's breath. And what does that even mean? Right? God's breath. When I was uh, when we first had Rowan. Uh, if you're a first-time parent, you'll know this really well. You'll remember this well. Um, get him down for bed. There he is. We used to bundle it like in a little burrito, wrap right up. You know, there he is. You can hold him and put him down. 
you go to bed, and then you wake up with this uncanny fear. But is he still real? Oh my god. Let's go here, right? And you're going into this Fine, of course. You're going, and you're checking. And of course, babies, it's so hard to tell, right? Unless they're snoring. But it's so faint the breath. Right? So you're right, I remember being right down next to Rowan. And are you breathing? And you're kind of got your fingers right under his nose, you know? Are you still breathing? Because don't wake up, right? And you're checking, you know? So when you get kind of this paranoid, sleep deprived kind of, like, are you breathing? And of course, why do you check someone's breath? Why does that matter? In an emergency, if you were to, if you were to walking around and you saw someone just kind of lying there, what do you do? Check their breath. Check their breath. Check their pulse, right? But you check their breath, right? Why do you check someone's breath? To see if they're alive, right? So in other words, ruach is is life. How do you know if someone's alive or not? You say, well, do they have ruach? And every living creature has ruach. Every human being has ruach. It's something we all have. It's not just it's not just breath. It's sort of the the essential principle of, of life. It's the number one indication that a creature is alive. Now we might say, of course, well, breathing is you know, breathing in oxygen, it's going carbon dioxide, right? Technical stuff going on. Of course, that's it's true. It's true. That's good. But imagine, put yourself, you know, 3,000 years ago, your breath is, you don't know that. Your breath is this invisible part of you that's strange, and it doesn't, you know, it's mysterious, and yet it, it's an indication that you're alive. And so when the Hebrews want to talk about God's inner vitality, the sustaining presence, the very kind of, the central sort of deepest life-giving part of him, who is this? They refer to God's breath. It's the word they use. This is God's spirit, his holy spirit. They pick the word that's most closely associated with the principle of life itself. And so when we as Christians refer to God the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a, a personal being, not just a force, but a personal being who gives his own life-giving presence to all things. He's energizing, he's sustaining <laughs> Life. So look back at look back to Bibles verse two. We've got the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, is hovering over the face of the waters. It's almost like he's waiting, eh? He's kind of waiting to go. What's he waiting for? The question is, well, how does how does God's Ruach work in the world? How does God's Spirit work in the world? What does He do? What is it that's gonna what is it that's going to begin the work that God wants to do of transforming this watery chaos into a, a hospitable garden? What's going to launch that? What's going to launch the, the transformation of chaos into order and goodness and beauty? What is it? What happens in verse 3? God speaks. So now you have God, and you have God's Ruach covering there, and now all of a sudden you have God's Word. And the Word releases the Ruach out to begin God's order-bringing, life-giving work. And there's a connection made, right, in the text between God, His breath, and His Word. These three mysteriously work together to bring about the transformation 
and, and bringing about a creation. So spirit works in the world is released through, through God's word. You flip over to Psalm 33. So if you've got a Bible, uh, if you've got the Pew Bibles, I think you and I have the same page numbers, which is cool. Uh, 463, maybe? Try that. Psalm 33. I'm going to read verses 4 to 6. Psalm 33, 4 to 6 says this. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. That's worth thinking about a bit. But then this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. It's the same idea. Uh, using metaphor of, of God's mouth, of course, but the idea of God and his word and his breath uh, all sort of in partnership together, of course, that this is yet one God, that there's this working together, and that this is how God's spirit begins the work of, of bringing life out of darkness. And so that's, the, that's kind of the first invitation for us when you think, well, what's the Holy Spirit do? What's the first thing I can think of is Genesis 1. He's the one who is kind of brooding over the dark, watery chaos, but he's also the one that brings life. He's the one that's transforming the broken chaos, the, 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 the kind of this primordial, watery, warm, you know, it's hard to describe what it is, but it's sort of this watery chaos. He's transforming, he's going to bring both lives. He's the giver of life. And he does it in a harmonious union with, with God and Word of God. And that raises kind of an interesting question. Um, so human beings have breath, have ruach. Where do you get that from? You know? Like what happens if you lose your ruach? Bit of a downer. Right? <laughs> right? You go unconscious and then things are not well. Right? And that's why I had Audrey read Genesis 2, 5 to 7. So in Genesis 2, this is a parallel creation story to Genesis 1, which you kind of go side by side and say different things about, about creation. <laughs> but look at Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 5. Yes, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. So what do you have here? Well, this is the formless and empty, but it's being described instead of kind of watery chaos, it's kind of wasteland. Also not fun for barbecues, right? Still not good for cultivation. Who do you need to cultivate life? You need God, but who do you need? Who brings about cultures? Who makes towns? Who makes neighborhoods? Who makes cities? People need people to do that. Yeah. So here we are in the wasteland, the, the, the formless uh, you know, it's, it's not good, not possible for life. There's no rain yet, right? Because there's no humans to kind of work the land. There's no agriculture. And what happens? God forms a human. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The Hebrew word for, for humanity is, uh, is Adam, which we get the name Adam, right? Adam. Adam literally means human human, or earth person. And there's a really cool wordplay kind of going on, because uh, earth, 
or ground. What do you have in verse 7? Lord God formed the manifest from the ground or earth. Ground, yeah, ground or earth or dirt or whatever. Dust to the ground. Well, the ground in, in Hebrew, the ground word, that's, that's uh, Adama. So this is kind of cool wordplay going on where God made Adam from the Adama. Uh, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, it's similar. We actually keep the same sense in our English language uh, when you think of the Latin root, right? Homo sapien, right? Uh, so homo meaning human. And the word humus, right? Which is what? Dirt. Right? You know that word, dirt? Humus. And so even in English, you've got this connection between uh, our word for, or Latin anyway, word for dirt and word for human. We're dirt people. <laughs> we're dirt. We're dirt people. And uh, that's really good. So Adam, uh, the human, is is an earth person. He's an earth plane. And it's, it's really good. But is he just earth? No. What else happens in verse 7? Right? So the Lord God, he's forming a man from the dust of the ground, which is really cool. It's this picture of, of God as sort of this potter, almost this artisan. Um, Working, forming, sculpting. And that tells you something really important. It tells you that God God has a divine purpose in the origin of human life. He sculpted and created and brought it about for his own good purposes. Brought you about for his own good purposes. So the God who sculpted Adam in this dirt continues to sculpt you today. He's still the one who sculpts. But anyway... He's forming the man from the dust. What else does he do? He breathes. And that should... That should... Ding, 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 ding. Right? Yeah. Breathes. Right? That, should, that should ring a bell. Why? What's he breathing? Yep. Spirit is Ruach. There it is. Right? He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and the earthling, the Adam of the Adamah, becomes a living creature. So we're, we're not just dirt. We're... We are dirt and divine breath. That's what it means to be human. We're a, we're a really fun, hybrid, physical, spiritual kind of project that God's working on. You're not just one, you're not just a soul. You have to be trapped in some kind of body, so that's not the point. No, 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 don't go there. You're made to be physical. It's good. God's formed you that way. It's good. Your body's good. You're not just a body, though. But also to the spirit, in the spirit. That's why, of course, when someone dies, we see the body without the spirit. It's breathing, it's breathing, it hurts. We know that person's not there, they're not well, it's not, it's not right. But in the same vein, a person, a human person who is just spirit without body is not quite right either. And that's why the Christian hope is not flying off to heaven, but becoming resurrected. And I've said this before, I feel like I'm offending people every time I say it. Of course, if you die and you're a Christian, you will be in heaven with the Lord and you will be okay. But if you get to Revelation 21 22, what's the point? It's not flying clouds of Jesus playing harps. It's some sort of immaterial something. What do we look like in our resurrected bodies? We say, I don't know, maybe we're kind of ghostly. No! Read the Gospels. Jesus has a physical body. It's very clear. So to be a human, what does God say is very good? All creation, the humans are very good. What is it that's very good? Not just the spirit is 
part and the body part's kind of too bad kind of thing. No, 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 it's the together. Body is spirit together. That's why resurrection is our point, that we will, Jesus defeated death, and we will therefore have new resurrected bodies. They'll be different than these current ones, of course. They won't be subject to disease and decay and all the rest of it, but they will in some sense have some sort of physicality. I don't know how this works, of course, but but Jesus has gone ahead and shown us this in his own resurrection. It's very cool. So you are dirt and divine breath, and when you don't have divine breath, that's a real sad state of affairs. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's not good to just kind of just be the dirt, and it's not quite right to just be the breath. God says, put, put it together. That's, that's really good. I like that. Let's do that. That's what God wants. Um, when Noah was being born, I was thinking of you, Carrie, because Carrie's the first one to ever. Well, Sarah's the first one to kind of have Noah, of course, who's kind of in her. But Sarah had a C-section for Noah, and uh, so Dr. Wilson was the first time. Oh, no. And but, like, he's a person before he's born, or like, well, he is. And so, you know, I would always say, well, why, why should a few inches of kind of skin and muscle and fat tissue or whatever define whether you're human or not, frankly, but anyway. Um, so he's already a human person, right? He was up sitting upright quite happily, cross-legged, like, hey, yes. And uh, so he's breached, that's why we're doing this attention. Anyway, we didn't even know he had Down syndrome, hey, laughter. Just fine, I'll tell you that story some other time. But anyway, um, so he's, a, he's there, and I'm sitting up by Sarah. Sarah's laying down. I won't explain this in incredible detail. She's, she's laying there, of course, and uh, uh, I'm sitting kind of up, up by her head. And, uh, you know, you've got to put on your cap, your cap, your hair cap, your hair net, and your, you have these, these booties you have to put on, these kind of, they're really funny. They, they, they hardly fit over my foot. And you kind of, and then I'm going in there, so I've got my feet are covered and my head's covered, and you're you're wearing, yeah, you must be wearing a downer stretch or something. I don't even remember this. But I remember thinking, I have a beard. Like, is this really helping anything? Is this all like I don't have a beard? Grab it. So I'm sitting there, and Sarah said, we're talking, and, and the anesthetist. It's so much harder to say than anesthesiologists, I feel. But anyway, Lisa just is there. And we're talking and trying to, you know, just talk. Well, you know, it's kind of scary, right? But it was good. And it carries on. But anyway, knowing we're very soon going to meet our new son. And I remember when he came out and we were talking, because you don't quite know when it's going to happen. But suddenly hearing this, like, <laughs> this cat cry. It was, it was hilarious. And, uh, but suddenly it just hit me. There's another person in the room. And of course, he was already there, right? But it was like, now he's right there. And it happened when he took his breath and he got his ruach, right? Now there's another living being in this room. And it was just, it was such a cool moment. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God is here. The breath of the Almighty gives me love. Isn't that good? So, friends, it's God's gift to wake up and, and take a breath and be alive. It's, it's, his, it's his life that sustains us. And he's intimately present in creation. Um, 
And he's intimately present at each moment of creation. So at each birth, there's a sense in which God sort of sends his, his life again, or, or energizes us to life again. And it's not the sense in which we're being filled with the Spirit. That's going to come up later. But it's this first and this more simple principle in Genesis 1 that life itself, you know, the reason that all this is happening, that it goes, life itself can happen because God is sustaining it and energizing it and keeping it going by his life-giving spirit. Without his spirit, it just doesn't go. So as Christians, we don't believe God just kind of winds up the earth with kind of natural laws and whatnot, and then says, okay, there you go, and it just kind of runs on its own and he steps back. Of course, it gives natural laws, which are really good, like gravity, for instance, is helpful for all of us right now to be sitting here. You know, these are good things, but but he's still intimately present in his creation. It's not like he steps back from it. And that's what you're being told here, is that the Holy Spirit is present, sort of, you know, keeping us going and alive. It is, and, and later on, you'll get the sense of sort of being filled in a, in a new kind of way, which will come up in the New Testament. So what have we learned? Well, the Spirit is all about, it's all about life. He's transforming wastelands into gardens. And he works in harmony with, with God and God's word. You know what I'm referring to when I do that, right? This very Trinitarian, I'm not saying Trinity, of course. Uh, not that I'm afraid to. Trinity, you won't find the word Trinity in, in scripture, but it's all over the place. So that, that's what's going on in Genesis 1. Um, we too have Ruach. It comes from God, and that's when our lives are sustained and they're held by God and not of our own making. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, this sounds like Star Wars. Is it? Right? Does it sound okay? So I was thinking about, uh, one, there's a, there's a lecture I was listening to that inspired this sermon quite a bit. Maybe he brought up this one as well. It sounds a bit like Star Wars. Does it sound a bit like Star Wars? Luke says, what's the force? Obi-Wan says, oh, the force. So then as you feel, this is my allegorous impression. The energy field surrounds us, finds us, penetrates us, finds the universe, and, uh, there you go, I'm bringing up Star Wars. Uh, it's perfect. Uh, or does it sound a bit like, uh, New Age kind of spirituality, Mother Earth kind of stuff, right? Sound like that? And there's a sense in which, uh, there's a similarity and there's a really, really vast difference. Um, when you think about worldviews, so you've got atheism, which is no God, right? Atheism, no God. And then over here you can say you have pantheism, which is God but is in everything. God's in the table and God's in the rock and God's in the tree. There's a divine principle kind of emanating of everything. We are, Christian theism is, is slightly closer to the pantheistic one than the atheistic one because we believe in a divine. But we don't believe it's an it that's kind of present in everything. We believe he's a person. And that's what's very different. So this is not a something. This is a someone. This is not a, an impersonal force. God's spirit is not just sort of this kind of fated sense of something going on in our lives. But he's a, a generous, loving, personal being who's knowable. Who's knowable, which is so important. And he's the one who gives us life. He's the one who, 
who sustains us and uh, continues to guide us and to lead us. And that should be helpful for us, I think, if, if you're in conversation with someone who is kind of into Eastern spirituality, or maybe you are this morning, um, you know, kind of New Age, whatever. Um, you know, and they're saying, man, the divine is that work in this tree, it's a beautiful tree, you know, you can go, yeah, yeah. There's a common ground there, but it's not the same. It's like, yeah, well, like, you know, it's not, it's not the tree itself, right? God has given life to this tree. God's the one that's brought this creation. And he continues to sustain it. He actually loves you. He's not just an ant, and you kind of get absorbed and personally into him, but he wants to know you, he's made you. And it gives you kind of common ground to talk to others. I want to end by turning to Luke, verse 2. Luke, verse 2. Starting in verse 26, you've got your, your pew Bible. This is... Oh, I think I have the wrong one. 26? Oh, one. No, you guys, where am I? In the wrong spot. Luke one twenty six. There it is. Like Jesus is already born in Luke 2. I'm trying to get to Luke 1. Luke one twenty six. Just gonna read this a little bit for you. Uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee and Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, man. You found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary asks a really good question. Mary says to the angel, um, Angel, how are you, how are you, you know, you know I'm not married, right? How's this going to be? Good question, Mary. What's the angel say? Not just God will come upon you, but who? Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will what? What's that sound like? What? Sounds like covering. Sounds like Genesis 1. Yeah, it's supposed to Overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. Mary says, How can life come into a place where there's no life? How can life come to a place that's empty or barren or wasteland? How do you get gardens out of formless and void? The angel says, The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be upon you. The power of the Most High will overshine you. God's Spirit is His very own divine life-giving breath. And of course, you can trace the Spirit through Jesus' life as you move forward. I'm not going to do that this morning. But what does 
What does all this mean for us? If you come this morning and you feel that God is kind of distant, or you felt that He's just not really involved in your life, or maybe you felt that there's things in your life, uh, stuff going on, it could be circumstances or character traits or habits that are diminishing life for you. It's something you do, or it's sin, or it's it's something going on, a relationship or some situation that's gone on, but it's diminishing life for you. Maybe there's maybe there's a selfish pattern in your own life. And rather than rather than cultivating goodness or beauty, it's actually pulling you down. It's actually creating uh, destruction as far as ruining relationship with God or with others or with yourself. And this is what this is what we need to hear this morning is that God, the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is in the business of entering dark, chaotic environments like the empty wasteland of Genesis or the empty womb, Luke two, and He brings about change. Not just any change but life-giving transformation for God's good and for his glory. He's not just an impersonal energy field. He's not the force. He's a person. It's God's very own inner life and vitality. And he brings hope and beauty and goodness and joy. And so what I want us to do is, uh, as I pray for us, as we head to the table, and God is going to lead us through communion, is that we would, in the rest of our time this morning, uh, open ourselves uh, to the work of the Spirit in us. And to say, Lord, search me. Is there a place in me that feels formless? Is there a relationship that's feeling chaotic and destructive? Is there a pattern in my own life that is more, looks more like death and less like a garden? And let's invite the Spirit to come and transform us as God speaks and as he, as he loves and cares for us. And, and, and ask the Spirit to point us to Jesus, who's the one who's taken our sin and bled for us and died so we can receive his life, his glory, and his salvation. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, 